Are you ready to take your career to the next level? Are you seeking the right tools to shine in today's competitive job landscape? Join us for an enlightening journey of professional growth and success with our dynamic 2MFM radio series, Career Catalyst, Landing Your Job, proudly supported by the New South Wales Government. Every week we'll bring you expert insights and practical tips that will empower you to conquer the job market and secure that dream position you've always aspired to. From crafting standout resumes to acing interviews and fostering a positive workplace environment, our series covers it all. Whether you're a seasoned professional looking to climb the ladder or a recent graduate embarking on your career path, Career Catalyst is your go-to resource for improving your skills and landing that desired job offer. Career Catalyst, landing your job. Your journey to professional success begins here. In today's episode, we are joined by Amro Zoab from Illawarra Multicultural Services, an organisation that aims to facilitate social participation, education and employment, among other matters, for culturally and linguistically diverse communities in the Illawarra and Shoalhaven region. Amro oversees the employment services at IMS, which assists clients in their resume writing and interview skills, as well as an array of other essential employment-related skills. Today, Amro is going to shed some light on the nuanced and often puzzling art of resume writing, a task that seems so elementary and yet can be so daunting when we initially sit down to do it. For women of all ages who are joining or even rejoining the workforce, we hope to answer some of the questions that may arise when you try to take that first step, putting together a resume. So Amro, can you just tell us what is a resume and what is the overall purpose of a resume in the eyes of a potential employer? Yeah, for sure. So thank you for having me, firstly. Basically, the idea of resume is just to provide a snapshot of who you are as a person. Um, And it is, unfortunately, not the best way of representing a person because in one case, it's hard to summarize who you are. But realistically, when you apply for a job, that's what you get asked to do, to summarize who you are, what your qualifications are, what your employment history is, and why you are better than the other candidates for that specific job. Many people might consider a resume to be like a short snapshot, so one page only. Some people might can, might put in more information in a resume, so they might make it up to three or more pages. However, if you need to think from an employer perspective, in the current job market, they might receive uh, tens of resumes for each job application. So that most employers don't tend to read the full resume. They just focus on very specific areas and they skim read the rest. Because of that, it's highly recommended that you try to condense the resume as much as possible. What is the general layout of a standard resume? So the general layout of a standard basic resume, you would start with identifying information about you. So it will be your name, uh, would have your email address, how people would contact you, your phone number, and would have, now depending on what sort of job you're applying for and what you are comfortable with, some people might put their city location. So they might put like Sydney or Wollongong or something. Um, It's not really recommended that you put your address in your resume. So you need to provide identifying information, but not too much. 
because you know we still this has to care about your privacy. Then afterwards, you're providing your after providing your identifying information, your contact details. The first thing that you will discuss is an objective statement. Now, the objective statement it's um, not an essential part of resume. However, it's commonly used in the objective statement. It's pretty much not even one paragraph. It's like two or three sentences, just saying who you are and what job you want. That's literally the questions you're, they, you would need to answer. So you could say, um, I'm like a 23-year-old young man, um, a recent university graduate with an engineering degree, seeking um, a full-time position as an electrical engineer, something along these lines, yeah? So that's just an example. After the objective statement would be your work experience. Now, how you organize your work experience, the most common way of doing it is chronologically from the newest to the oldest. However, you do have the flexibility of actually moving things around, putting the more relevant things on top. So it is very possible that when you're applying for a job that your most relevant work experience is not your most recent work experience. So it's more important to put your most relevant work experience on top than your most recent work experience. And because when you think from an employer perspective, if they're just going to skim read your resume and they're just going to look at the top parts, the more salient parts of your resume, you need to make sure that they see that your qualifications are relevant. Especially this applies a lot for people who have been out of the workforce for some time or people who are recent university graduates, where they might have done some work in the past relevant to what they want to work again now. However, their current job might be in a field completely irrelevant. For example, it might be in hospitality, it might be in support work, while they might need to work in the social services sector or in any other sector. So it's just important to put the most relevant experience on top. Afterwards, you would put your educational information and qualification. So also you would make it chronologically, ideally, so newest to oldest. However, you still have the flexibility of putting um, most relevant to least relevant. But also when you're talking about education, you would also tend to put the higher qualification before the lower qualification. So if you have a diploma and certificate for, you would put the diploma first. So you have basically the flexibility of choosing what goes first. So you don't really have to stick to a specific way of writing your educational qualifications. But what you need to focus on is putting the relevant degrees and the relevant qualification first and the higher degrees and higher qualifications first as well. Now, after the education qualifications, you have the freedom to list some of the skills you have. So some skills might be a bit repetitive and every employer would expect to see them like being a good team member or like teamwork, being punctual, attention to details, these sorts of things. While they are good to mention, they're just always used. So if you don't have a lot of space, you might actually be able to skip them and put things that are a bit more unique. However, if you need space to fill in your resume, like you have some space, it's a good idea to put such skills. Other skills that you might mention ideally would be relevant to the job you're applying for. So if you're applying to work um, in the disability sector, knowing that your area or the area you're applying to work in has many people, people from multicultural background, it'd be a really good idea to mention that you have high cultural awareness or high cultural sensitivity. It'd be good to mention that you speak a second or a third language, like mentioned languages you speak. So it'd be good to mention the skills, firstly, that make you unique. 
but also that are highlight you as a better candidate. On the topic of skills, I just want yeah. to expand on that. And I want to say many women may acquire soft skills like multitasking or time management or hard skills yeah. like their language proficiency or uh, coding, for example, from a hobby yeah. or while they're at home. Now, do these yeah. do these skills that they acquire from a hobby or from an informal perspective and not so much from an accredited perspective, are they worth mentioning yeah. in their resume? Definitely. I would say they are worth mentioning. The way I believe would be a good way of mentioning them is to mention a specific product you worked on. So let's say um, it's coding, but they acquire the skill at home, like by watching YouTube videos or just learning online courses, if they don't have official qualification or even inofficial qualification, like just some certificate, they can still mention that I have worked on this project. Like I developed a, a mini game or a calculator or I developed this program, even if it's a very basic program, that's totally fine. But when they mention what they developed or the project where they apply these skills in, it's good to mention, to use like technical terms in talking about the program that they apply their skill in to show that they actually know what they're talking about. So it's this is a lot easier for projects where there is actually an area for specific jargon like programming. However, if we're talking more about soft skills, let's say um, like time delegation or time management, if we're talking about um like, for example, um, conflict, conflict resolution of these sort of things, which might be a bit more difficult, then it is worth mentioning. Um, but the more relevant context you can provide, the better. So even if it's a skill at home, you can definitely still mention it. Because when it comes to the interview, you might get asked about, tell us about a time where you practice your skill, your conflict resolution skills, and how were you able to resolve a conflict, then that is more than okay to mention an example that is not just from the workplace. You can mention an example from your own life as well. It's oh, all relevant. Excellent. Yeah. I also just wanted to mention about um, the remaining sections of the resume. Yep. Uh, a very important section are references. So ideally, um, some people might choose to put uh, references are available upon request. And that is one way of doing it. So there is really no read recommendation between whether you should do it this way or whether you should actually list the um, references on your resume. But before you list them, you might be a good idea to ask the people you are putting as your references if they are happy for you to just put them on your resume and send it out just to make sure that because their information like email and contact number would be there yes. just to make sure that they're happy with that. But for the references, I think it's a good idea to collect as many references as possible, but you don't have to list all of them on the resume because we would need to only put the relevant references. So you might have had five workplaces, a reference from each, even a personal reference, even an educational reference, um, you would only put uh, the ones that are relevant to that to the specific job you're applying for. So we're seeing a theme of sticking to what's most relevant to the job that you're applying for. Correct, yes. So is there such a thing as sharing too much information in a resume? Is that what you're getting at? As in, a person might attempt to cram all the information that they can about themselves into this resume. Is that unfavorable yep. to an employer or does it reflect better on the candidate to have as much information as possible? So I think there are two considerations that need to be taken into account. The first one is the type of job you're applying for. Is it a job in a very large company or is it a job in a smaller organization? So if it's in a very large company, it is possible that before before even a human is reading your resume, 
a program is reading it. So in that case, it will be actually good to put a lot of information in your resume. So the keywords that the program reading your resume will be looking for have a higher chance of existing in your resume. And therefore, your resume would progress to the next stage where a human would look at it. However, if you're applying for a smaller organization, where it's more likely that an actual human is looking at your resume first before a program or, you know, a specific software, then it's more it's more relevant to emit unnecessary information and just keep the necessary. Now, understand how this could be a real challenge, you know, because sometimes you don't know how large an organization actually is. So what we usually recommend is that you try to find a middle ground, but where you have more control is in the layout of the resume. So what you highlight and what you don't highlight. For example, if you are talking about your relevant experience, like the title of your work and the place you worked at, if it's really relevant, you would make it in a bigger font. But then in the description of the, of the um, duties you had, you can write it in a smaller font and you can write a lot just to make sure that in this case, if a human is reading it, the highlighted part of the resume are enough to communicate to the, to the person reading it that you are qualified or that you have relevant experience. However, if a program or a software is reading the resume first, there is enough information on that resume, enough keywords to show that software or that program that you are also a qualified candidate. So it is a little bit of a science, not going to lie, but it is important to know that we need to like find that middle ground where a resume is both can be read by a human, but also by a software. However, if you know that you're applying for a smaller organization or you're applying for a, a non-for-profit or you're applying for, um, let's say, a workplace that doesn't make a lot of money, then it's safe to assume that they are not using such softwares or such programs. So it's safe to just write it for a human. However, if you're applying to work for larger companies, let's say um, for large retail stores, you're applying to work for international companies, you're applying to work for any of companies where you would expect that they would be making a lot of profits, then you would need to assume that they are using a software or a program to read the resumes and filter them before an actual human looks at them. Interesting. That's That brings up a very important topic of keywords. Um, and yeah. you did touch on keywords a little bit before when we were talking about skills and uh, some of the generic skills that you might find on a resume. And uh, I just wanted to bring us back to that, some of the key words and phrases that might be advantageous in a resume and uh, the language that you should use in a resume. For example, would a person speak in first person on their resume? And um, also a little bit about the grammar and punctuation. Is it really that important yep. to have excellent grammar, excellent punctuation in a resume? Yeah, so I think um, there is a red flag on spelling. So yes, you should never have spelling mistakes. <laughs> um, however, in terms of speaking in um, first or second or even third language, it doesn't matter as much as long as it's consistent. So if your whole resume is in first, as is in first person, then that's fine. If your whole resume is in second, then that's fine. As long as the whole resume follows one set of rules, you know, when you're talking. Um, Throughout my work, I do see some resumes, for example, where the objective statement is in first person. However, for example, the duties listed under a job description are in second person. So that doesn't look as good. It doesn't flow as much. So it's a, the consistency is more important than actually choosing what tense. Choosing the tense is really up to the person. So there's no preference in that sense. Um, 
it's better to choose the easier uh, tense, but as long as it's consistent throughout the whole resume, I think that would suffice. Um, in terms of uh, punctuations, it might actually be very useful to use them in the right way. So that would allow you to fit more words into a smaller area. So if you're writing the objective statement, if you choose to write many sentences, you might end up with a much longer objective statement. However, if you decide to use a comma or a semicolon to combine sentences, you might end up saving some space. So that's the only area where you would really be worrying a lot about um, punctuation in a resume. However, because the majority of the resume is just very short sentences, like I worked here, I did this, I did that second, I did that third, you don't really worry about punctuation as much. And with dot points, you also absolutely have the freedom to use a full stop at the end or to not use it, as long as it's consistent. <laughs> so you can't use like, let's say you have five dot points, you can't use like two full stops in, for two of them and no full stops for the other. So it, consistency is really what matters more than any specific rules. And for keywords specifically, where you would get keywords that are relevant to the job you're applying for is from the job advertisement it, itself or from the job description itself. So it would be useful to actually read the job description or read the job advertisement and use the words that they use in there, the words that they use, especially the selection criteria. So I'm in not in all, but in majority of the job advertisements, they would put some selection criteria. In the, this is the most important part. This is the part where you need to tailor your resume to address. And in there, there would be some keywords. Now, industries have specific keywords for them. So, for example, if you're applying to work as a support worker, let's say for HK, there would be some keywords that you could use with any job advertisement. So you don't actually need to change it a lot. But if you're applying across multiple industries, they're trying to be a support worker, but also trying to apply to be a kitchen hand, but also applying to be a, a tradie. So then you need to really focus keywords because that's a massive difference. But within the same industry, keywords would be similar. It's safe to consider that. Um, however, what a good way of actually finding out what important keywords are is to use some services that actually highlight keywords for you. Now, um, I believe many of our listeners might have heard of ChatGPT, which is actually a service that I have implemented where I work at the moment in supporting my clients write up their resumes and their cover letters because it, it saves time for them and it also empowers them to modify and change their resume and cover letter to suit whatever job they're applying for in a much faster way. Make it easier for them to apply for multiple jobs, increasing their chances of actually getting employment. So you could actually use ChatGPT to highlight some specific keywords or to write a, an example objective statement for you by feeding it the um, job description. So you can copy the job description and paste it in there. And then you can ask it to write you an objective statement that can help you get that job based on, the, on your experiences. So you, you, you need to write your experiences for it as well. However, never just copy and paste from it. So what ChatGPT produces is a good draft, but it's not a good final outcome. So you still need to proofread any cover letter it produces, any resume tips it produces, any objective statements, any list of skills. You need to proofread them. Make sure firstly that they are accurate, that they actually apply to you. 
and making sure that it's not inventing anything that you didn't actually provide it with. So this is where we can actually use technology to make it easier for people to apply for jobs. But it's important to note that many people already started doing it. So when we are not using such technology, we might be putting ourselves at a disadvantage because yes. many people have already started using such technology. So it's not just something that is like, a no, it's not just a novelty, it's actually becoming more mainstream. So it's important to catch up to such technology when applying for jobs. Excellent. And that brings me to my next point about online tools like resume generators or specialists that you might hire or templates that you might use uh, when you want to write a resume and you might struggle to begin. And uh, I was going to ask, um, who specifically do you find these tools are advantageous for? And uh, when is it preferable that you write the resume yourself? I think it's always good to actually write the resume yourself. I feel like that's the safest start because you know yourself more. You would be able to communicate yourself better. That's a good practice for you because this might not, even if you get the job, you might still need to apply for jobs later down the line. Um, regarding paying someone like a professional resume writer, it's not something that I discourage or encourage because I simply don't have enough experience in that sense. However, if it's a lot of money and it might be worth it trying other free options first before actually go um, to that more expensive option. Now, the free options I was referring to, you can actually access um, support services. However, if accessing such services is more difficult, then online tools are definitely uh, an option you can do. So if you Google like um, resume templates, it's better to be more specific. So for example, instead of just Googling resume templates, you would Google um, resume templates for um, research jobs, if you want to work as a researcher, or resume templates for people interested in working in the um, hospitality industry. So you're saying there are different types of formats of a resume depending on the industry that you're going into? Yeah, definitely. And also not just the format of the resume itself, even the visuals of it, like the colors used, uh, whether you include your picture or not, that's another question. So I just want to talk a little bit about including a picture in the resume. It really is context specific. So usually you would include your picture in jobs that require a lot of customer service, but also that where how you look is also important. So if you're applying to work as a spokesperson or if you're applying to work more in media, then it might be relevant to include your picture in the resume. However, if you're applying for majority of the other jobs, that might not be as relevant to include your picture. Because many of our listeners would come from multicultural backgrounds. They might have um, different names or like non-English sounding names and might choose to go by English sounding names just as a nickname. Now, in a resume, you can actually not use your birth name. You can use your preferred name in your resume, but still use your actual last name. So that is still possible, yeah? So let's say your actual name is Khaled, for example, uh, but you go by David. If that's what you go by, you can put David and then your actual last name. So that's still possible. Um, because 
unfortunately, it does still happen where people from like multicultural backgrounds or non-English sounding names might be disadvantaged in the job market purely based on the fact that, you know, they come from a non-English speaking background or they come just from overseas. Yes. So it is important to acknowledge that, but also it's important to see how we can work around the system. So we were speaking about uh, customizing our resume, depending on the industry that we're going into, and of course, uh, customizing the objective statement, because it does differ depending on the job that we're going for. So do you discourage people from using a standardized resume uh, for all of their job applications? I would say actually, um, yes, if they are applying for jobs in different industries, if they're applying for jobs within the same industry, then it is actually okay to use the same resume as long as the resume itself doesn't mention a specific company that you want to apply for. So the objective statement in the resume, if it says I'm seeking employment at this specific company, then yeah, you wouldn't be able to use it somewhere else. But you can write an objective statement in a way where it says I'm seeking employment in this industry. And then if you're applying for jobs within the same industry, then no, you can still actually use the same resume. However, if you're applying for jobs across multiple industries, which could be the case, then you actually need different resumes. And it is good to have like, um, to create a resume as a Word document first, where you can actually edit it easily. But then when you apply, you save it as a PDF. You can do that online. You can just like Google Word to PDF converter and then convert your file to PDF before sending it. But it's good to have a Word document where you can edit and you can make copies. It's always better to make copies to make sure that if you actually change your mind, realize you like the previous version, you can just go back and use the previous version. And this also applies um, for cover letters as well. However, cover letters, they are definitely way more um, flexible. So a cover letter, it's good to have a template for the industry, but actually you do need to tailor each individual cover letter to the job you're applying for. Yes. Because the cover letter itself addresses the person like who would be hiring you. And it needs to reflect the selection criteria. If it's within the same industry, there would be some common selection criteria questions. Could be like talk about like relevant work experience in this industry. Could be um, talk about relevant education. So these things you wouldn't change as much. However, it could be very specific. So let's say you're applying to work for an aged care facility that only works with people from multicultural backgrounds, you need to mention in the section criteria they might say to us like about how you can demonstrate cultural sensitivity. So that might be a bit more specific. So you still need to tailor such um, your cover letter to address that selection criteria. But also when applying for jobs, a lot of the larger companies, it's not just enough to send your resume or send your cover letter. You actually have to fill up a job application on their website. And in that job application, they would ask you each question separately. So they would ask you a question where they might ask about your relevant work experience. They might ask you a question about your education, might ask you a question about your qualification, might ask you a question about how you can demonstrate teamwork, how you can demonstrate um, ethics at work, how you can demonstrate um, punctuality, like these sort of things. So these type of job applications are the more tiring job applications because you have actually already kind of provided all the information in your resume cover letter. You are still asked to put it again in the specified boxes. So what's good practice is when such thing happens, like when you're applying for a job, actually do complete it, but save your application 
and download it on your computer before submitting it. Because when you try to apply for another job, it's very likely that the same questions might be repeating or just rephrased in another company or another job. So you can just like copy and paste and save time for yourself when applying for jobs. It's always good to proofread just to make sure that your answer actually is relevant to the question and it's a good answer as well. But honestly, in like applying for many jobs can become tiring, not just tiring, but can become like disappointing, especially that statistically just it's more likely that a person might not get a job than get a job when you apply for a job. That's why people apply for tens of jobs or even, you know, hundreds of jobs. <laughs> so it is an effort that people need to put in to apply for jobs. So it's always good to make the process itself of applying as fast and as smooth as possible. So you can actually apply for a lot of jobs, increasing your chances of getting an interview and hence increasing your chances of getting hired. And how you would make such process fast is by saving your application so you can copy and paste similar answers. By using a a resume template, you can change it easily. By using a cover letter template, you can change it easily. By using service online services like ChatGPT or you can like look up specific um, resume templates or cover letter templates but also by creating accounts on job search websites many of the jobs get advertised there and these um, specific websites you can create your own profile where you would answer the majority of the questions that employers would ask you so basically the application post and you can upload your resume and cover letter and have it ready in there so basically, the application process moves from becoming an hour worth of work to 10 minutes worth of work because you still need to proofread everything. And each employer might have some additional questions. But when you make a job application process faster, you can apply for more jobs in case your chances of getting a job. You did raise a very important point, which is uh, the qualifications that a person should cover when they are composing their resume and uh, writing their cover letter. I wanted you to tell us a little bit about how much of this criteria we're expected to satisfy. Because there is some research that indicates that many women tend to underestimate their qualifications or their employability when they're reviewing that criteria. So should a person take this as the absolute checklist of whether uh, they satisfy all the criteria or should they look at it more as a role that they can grow into? So while I don't have specific data, but I have a lot of anecdotal evidence that supports what you said, you know, which is, yeah, please don't take the qualification requirements or like the section criteria as just like a given word that it's either this or you won't be employed. No, it is very likely that majority of the people applying don't meet all the like criteria that the employer has posted. So still do apply anyway. Now, this is more relevant to specific jobs over jobs. Like, for example, if you're applying to work as a doctor or a lawyer, yeah, you still actually need yes. to have a specific qualifications. But for like literally 90% of the other jobs, um, even if you feel like you might be underqualified, it's possible that you are already qualified. It's just, it could be a feeling or, or it could be the fact that the job advertisement is like worded in a way where it sounds like you need a lot of qualification but what you have might be good enough and it is likely it is good enough if you understand what the job is about then that's a good indication that you are qualified to do it but what's 
also like a good thing to remember, it's always better to apply anyway <laughs> instead of not applying. Yes. Applying anyway, even though it can take some time, like but like we said, if you make the process easy, it might take only 10 minutes. But even if it takes like half an hour, applying anyway, what you're wasting is just some time. But the chances of getting a job might become higher. So what I like always encourage like my clients and even like my friends and family when applying for a job. So even if you feel like you are not fully qualified, um, do apply. You might get an interview, even if you don't get the actual job. If you get an interview, you get to learn more about the job. You get to practice going to an interview. Yes. It, all is hel- it all is helpful. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah, but also realistically, for many of the employers, they have to write in their job advertisement that we need all these qualifications just to provide credibility for themselves. Yes. However, realistically, a lot of this is not like legal requirement. It's just a preference. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's not like... Legally, you have to have the certificate to do this job. And a lot of the time, no, it's just a preference by the employer, but they will consider everything they get. You might find a lot of entry-level jobs that have yeah. a long criteria list, and it's very daunting for women that are um, entering the workforce for the first time or re-entering the workforce. To see yeah. that long list as an entry-level worker is very daunting. So it, it's comforting to know that sometimes they raise the bar um, either to yeah. maybe catch a bigger fish... Like- or... Yeah, but literally, like, to look good, like, seriously, like, also because when a company or an organization advertises for a job, their competitors, you know, would also be looking at what sort of jobs they're advertising. So yes. they would look at what salary they're offering. They would look at, you know, what the selection criteria is and what the job description is, because that's how business works. You know, like, even not commercial businesses, it's still, like, in a way, how, like, what might happen. So that's why, like, majority of the organizations might put higher requirements but there is like the distinction is between what's legally required and what's recommended you know so for specific jobs like let's say for a psychologist yes you do need a degree in psychology you do need to be like a registered psychologist similar for engineering you need to be a registered engineer and this applies for all of these like qualifications but there are jobs where you're not a psychologist you're a mental health support worker so you don't need to have like a bachelor of psychology it's nice to have it. Definitely yes. would make you more appealing, you know, to be hired. But um, you can be anybody as long as you can demonstrate that you are like, you can do a good job. So especially for like entry-level jobs, most of them don't require any like a lot of qualification. Unless if we're talking about traits, then you do need like a white card, you know, like you do need like the basics. But in terms of like actual degrees, Entry jobs majority don't tend to need actual actual degrees. And in many cases, an experience is more relevant than a degree, like especially for women re-entering the workplace where they might have worked for years, like um, in a specific industry yes. at the time where a qualification wasn't as necessary. Like let's look at casework, for example. So they might have worked like 30 years ago for a number of years as a caseworker where a qualification wasn't necessary. However, now they want to re-enter the workforce, also working as a caseworker. But now everyone is requiring that they have at least a diploma or that they have a bachelor or that they have something like, you know, that is just not as attainable now. But they still have experience, right? So having the experience itself is good enough, is a qualification. If people have been applying and still struggling to actually get an employment and they think that this is the reason, what could be good is to get even like even a certificate two, even a certificate three, even a statement of attainment in something that is relevant, just to show that you have like 
not just experience, but you have like recent experience, you know? Yes. So let's say if we're talking about casework, uh, might be good to get, uh, or if to care about mental health, might be good to get a, a mental health first aid certificate, you know? Like just even if it's something small, but just to show that you actually have, have some relevant experience. Especially at TAFE, there are many um, smart and skilled courses that are actually free. Mm-hmm. and many can actually be studied online, so they are, like, flexible as well. So I think it's really worth looking into these and seeing if there's any qualification that you can do, like, where you can actually fit it into your schedule, whether you're, you know, like, you're already working, whether you're studying, whether you're looking after somebody, whether you just have your own thing happening and you don't have as much time. Many of the test degrees can be done part-time, can be done online, um, or can be done full-time, but take a shorter time when done full-time. So... Do look at this, and it's good to get some qualifications that actually give more credibility because it does give you an advantage. So I still want to encourage people to apply for jobs anyway, even if they feel like they are underqualified, even if they feel like they don't meet all the selection criteria, please do apply anyway because it's still um, worth applying. It's still possible that you might get an interview. It's still possible that you might even get a job. So it's definitely worth it because the more you apply, the more likely you will get interviews and the more likely you will get jobs. But also, if you have the chance to actually get a qualification, even if it's even if it's a small one, it might still be worth it. Yes. Just to show that you have recent experience, and TIFF is a honestly a great place to get such qualification. For majority of the jobs that, if you look at it, level. I think this is the place to go. That's an excellent yeah. way to bridge the gap for yourself if you have been out of the workforce for a long time. I think that's an excellent suggestion. And um, yeah, for a lot of women, they might. As we said, they might have taken that gap. How else would a person tactfully bridge the gap for themselves? So we have actually some good examples um, that are like happening in our industry, but also like our workplaces. So for such a scenario, volunteering can be a really good approach itself. So like many um, organizations or places would, I'm talking more about like the non-government, like social services sector, they would really benefit from um Having volunteers around and having volunteer experience is an experience, right? You get, you get recent references, you get recent network that might help you get a job, you know. You get all these things um, and you get some more credibility again that even though you have worked a longer time ago, but you are still qualified. Now, it, this applies to other industries as well, so not just the social services sector, but really many, many other industries would benefit from, you know, people who are interested in volunteering and when a volunteer gets that experience, gives them something to put on their resume, gives them a reference. And these networks actually are more helpful getting a job than like, you know, all the tips I just told you about, you know, seriously, like having good networks in the industry that you want to work in would really make it easier to get a job because when your resume gets recommended from a trusted source to an employer, they wouldn't just skim read it, but actually read it, actually pay attention to it. And that would make it more likely, if you're qualified, that you would get an interview, and therefore more likely that you would get a job. Yes. So volunteering would actually really help getting these networks. Understand that that might be difficult for many people. They still have like getting responsibilities, or they don't just simply don't have the time to volunteer because they actually need to work to make money to pay for essential things. So I do acknowledge that. But if you do have some time to volunteer, I think it's definitely worth it, even if it's one day a week, even if it's three hours a week, like whatever you can do that is relevant to the industry you want to work in, it's a good idea to volunteer and to build that network. So getting a job is 
about you as a person being like qualified and being skilled and right education and right work experience, but also it's about you being a social person, you know, a person yes. who can present themselves well, a person who can like, you know, introduce themselves, um, communicate that, you know, they are looking for a job, communicate that they are qualified, provide like leave their contact detail with people, tell them um, if a job comes by, like, please feel free to forward it to me or to recommend me. So it's also about like putting yourself out there, like presenting yourself as actually a good option for em- for employers by actually talking to people, you know? So, and this is, unfortunately, it's an advantage that like naturally extroverted people have over naturally introverted people yeah. in that sense, you know? However, Sometimes it is fake it till you make it. Even if you're not naturally extroverted, yes. <laughs> pretending like and you know, pretending like you're an extrovert just to do some networking, just to try and get your name out there, would be would be worth it. Absolutely. Um, so basically, to get a job, it's just like out of all what we discussed, doing as much as you can out of everything, right? Because some some things might be more difficult. Like for example, using ChatGPT might be technologically challenging but you can still do some other things we talked about or it could be like being a very extrovert is very challenging but you can still use the other things we talked about so yes. that's why i think we discussed many tips because doing everything perfectly is difficult but doing as many things well as possible would really increase somebody's chances in you know like getting an interview and getting a job as, as well absolutely and i think that point that you just made about volunteer work and how vital it is not only for your resume and uh, for building that credibility and that experience, but also for yourself, for building your confidence and your security in your ability to do jobs um, and and re-enter the workforce. I think that's an excellent tip for those that are re-entering the workforce again and want to exercise those, those muscles that they have. But I think also it's vital for the youth that are entering the workforce for the first time. So what else can you tell us about young people and the opportunities that they should take that will support their resume when they do decide to enter the workforce? Yeah, I think well, the biggest challenge that would face young people would be experience, you know, Definitely. like would be having no experience on the resume to show. So it would be relevant to put things that you're actually proud of. Extracurricular activities would really help, especially the ones that are relevant. So if you're applying to work at a, uh, it's a grocery store, but you have previous experience like volunteering or just activities working in a garden, for example. So that might be like, you know, relevant because even though it's not exactly a grocery store, but it's still you're dealing with food, you know? Yes. So things like that, you could even talk about your hobbies, like you're applying to work as a kitchen hand and all you have is a, like maybe a statement, in a statement of a statement in food handling, which is, really necessary and good but you can say that i uh, like i have a hobby in cooking and you can use some jargon like some technical test mentioning what you can cook mentioning what type of food you can make so even if it's extracurricular activity is still worth it but also volunteering against <laughs> also really applies for other people volunteer opportunities and most schools would have many options for volunteering opportunities and lastly most non-government organizations most not for profits would love to have volunteers. So uh, that's why I really encourage people to do some volunteering because you build the networks, build their friends, and that would help you actually get some jobs. But talking about younger people, I just remember to mention an important point. Now, as you grow older, it might be relevant to remove some like younger, like some achievements you had when you were younger, 
So let's say you just graduated your university degree. Uh, on your resume, it might not be necessary or might not be a good idea to put that you went to high school or that this is this was your ATAR in high school because you already have university degrees. It's not like really relevant. You get what I mean? So it's yes. important like that as you progress to start like dropping some of the things that are not relevant anymore. Yeah, so it goes back to that uh, the most relevant goes first. And uh, what you're saying yeah. is to omit the things that have expired. Yeah. Exactly. So if you finished university, you don't need high school anymore. If you had like a job when you were like 16, but now you're 24 and you had many other jobs afterwards that are more relevant, you don't need the references from that job or you don't need to put that you have worked that job. You know? So it's about actually putting the relevance and the important first. Even though it might, honestly, it might not feel nice saying that this is what I've done because you know that you have done actually a lot more. Yes. You know that you have worked 10 jobs or you know that you have all these qualifications. But again, a resume, it's one page. And you're a full human. Yes. <laughs> like we understand that, but it's about just doing it the right way so you can get to what you want, which is a job. So yes. that's why it's important to put the more relevant first. So um, just to expand on that just a little bit more, when it comes to removing these things from your resume, when they become obsolete or they become expired, how often would you have to do that? Because you were mentioning from high school to uni graduation. So that's not a whole lot yeah. of time. Yeah, so I would say, yeah, I would say like it's every milestone. So for example, this applies mostly between high school and university, but doesn't apply between bachelor's and master's, for example. So if you have a master's in social work, but you have a bachelor of psychology, you would still mention both. Yes. Yeah. So it's more like about... The What's considered like more, yeah, it's that it's much more considered like childhood achievement versus like adulthood achievements. A degree is more of an adulthood achievement. Yes. A high school, if you graduate in high school age, it's more of a childhood achievement. So it's just about distinguishing um, like just that uh, life stage. And in terms of work, it's really when you feel like um, you are running out of space in your resume because you should aim for one page, ideally, for your resume, you should aim for one page. Yes. So if you feel like you are running out of space in the work experience, then the first, the first thing you would drop is, you know, the least relevant or the older or, you know, the less impressive as well. So that's, it's a judgment that really only the person can make, but there's no like one right formula. But I think the easiest way to think about it is that when you finish uni, you don't really need to mention your high school. That's because, like, by default, if you went to uni, then you is good enough in high school. <laughs> like, that's just the assumption, you know, that you can allow space for other things as well in your resume, other things that you are proud of, like what projects you did at uni, what extracurricular activities you did. Okay, well, thank you so much. No worries. <laughs> thank you so much. Are you ready to take your career to the next level? Are you seeking the right tools to shine in today's competitive job landscape? Join us for an enlightening journey of professional growth and success with our dynamic 2MFM radio series, Career Catalyst, Landing Your Job, proudly supported by the New South Wales Government. Every week we'll bring you expert insights and practical tips that will empower you to conquer the job market and secure that dream position you've always aspired to. From crafting standout resumes to acing interviews and fostering a positive workplace environment, our series covers it all. 
Whether you're a seasoned professional looking to climb the ladder or a recent graduate embarking on your career path, Career Catalyst is your go-to resource for improving your skills and landing that desired job offer. Career Catalyst, landing your job. Your journey to professional success begins here.